Drive Time Live with Mills Crenshaw. Martin Tanner sitting in for Mills Crenshaw, who is away on vacation. He's actually at a martial arts convention. It's a pleasure to sit in today. During our last couple of hours, we had two representatives from FAIR. During this hour, we are going to have a guest that I find absolutely uh, fascinating. He is going to be speaking at the FAIR conference that we've talked about off and on during the last few hours. And the topic that he will be discussing is um, somewhat controversial, and yet I really like the way he approaches it. Our guest during this hour is Joshua Johnson, or excuse me, Johansson. He's an outspoken advocate for Latter-day Saints with same-gender attraction. His own personal experiences have been featured in Mercury Times and were published in a book called Gay Mormons, question mark, Latter-day Saint Experiences of Same-Gender Attraction. He's a well-educated guy, received a master's degree in linguistics from the University of Washington, and he's interested in the impact that language has on the whole debate surrounding homosexuality. He'll be speaking at the FAIR conference this August and 3rd. His particular presentation is on the 2nd. He's going to be talking about the issue of navigating the labyrinth surrounding homosexual desire. That's his topic. He's going to talk about teachings by modern LDS prophets, about homosexuality, and about some of the different positions that are held by different mainstream medical organizations and and groups and his goal as i understand it is to sort of cut through some of the misconceptions that occur from many different points of view that people hold about this subject and really get some clarity about all of these it's it's a fascinating Subject, and we have a fascinating guest, uh, Joshua. Thank you for joining us this hour. It's a pleasure to be here. So, how did you become involved in this whole fair conference that's coming up on August second and third? So, I have been active in fair for a long time. I um, did a series of podcasts uh, on homosexuality. I've written one. Um, the wiki, and I've um, participated in responding to some questions that have been sent to FAIR. And I was actually invited by the president to give this presentation at FAIR because I have been so involved in this topic. You hold what I consider to be uh, quite a, a neat position to be able to discuss this topic because not only as you've just pointed out you've been involved with fair for some time uh you would also describe yourself as an active latter-day saint true yes very much so you also would describe yourself as somebody who is currently uh, married and has a young child yes and very young child uh, Very young child, as in takes a lot of work and is really cute at that age. Um, yes. Which are two of the main features I've enjoyed with my kids when they were young. And the, one of the other uh, things that 
is of course um, very much something that gives you qualifications to be able to discuss this issue is you have had um, th throughout your life this issue of a attraction to, to same sex that's been something that's been um, part of your life. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Okay. Very true. And and so that context, uh, I, I think, brings for you something very, well, maybe a different way to say it is that it brings together a number of perspectives that maybe each individually wouldn't be so unusual, but together they really are. And I think they give you a perspective that is extremely valuable for people to hear. And I, I'm delighted to, to have you on today to talk about this issue. Um, how did you come up with your topic, which I find quite uh, provocative and, and fascinating? Well, as you mentioned, my emphasis has been in um, issues surrounding homosexuality. So I wanted something with that aspect. And in listening to the debate and what people talk about, often I feel that people talk past each other when it comes to this issue. And there's a lot of vocabulary that the other side doesn't understand. And so to really understand what each person is, is saying, it's, they've created this labyrinth of words around the issue. And so it's, you need to understand what people are talking about, what different studies are saying, before you can ever hope to navigate what it talks about. Very, very, um, very true. You know, I've, I've had a number of discussions with people from different religious backgrounds, and sometimes you're using uh, similar words, sometimes you're using different words, but the meaning for one faith is very, very different from the meaning that that word might have for a different faith, and this is a similar kind of phenomenon that you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. In particular, homosexual desire, I want to talk about the difference between that versus same-sex attraction versus the other aspects of it. When you and I were talking a, a bit about this yesterday in preparation for this show, you, you mentioned that you really find that that same sense excuse me same sex attraction and gay identity and homosexual behavior are um are are, are really not the same thing and that people often sort of assume that they really are tell us about that i think that's a great place to start here right so take me for example i find men more sexually attractive to women on average. However, I find my wife sexually attractive, and I have formed my marriage with her, and it's very happy and fulfilling. So I'm living what many people might consider a straight identity. I have wife and kids and family and everything. Um, definitely only heterosexual behavior, but I still have attractions to men. So I still have same-sex attraction. So for me, the difference between the three is very obvious because I do not fit in all three categories. Um, I've done some, looked at some studies in the past where, where they look at these issues, and it's 
always been a hard um, issue to be able to get numbers on people doing a homosexuality because there's this distinction between the groups because someone will feel attracted to men but not act upon it or identify as gay but not act upon it on different issues. Um, one study that I found, and it's been quoted by several places, it shows that for every person who identifies as gay, so every time you know someone who says, hey, I'm gay, there's going to be two more people who have same-sex attraction and do not act upon it and also do not identify as gay. So there's this huge population in the United States that because they aren't vocal about it, they, they're very hidden. They're not accounted for. And yet they still deal with those issues of same-sex attraction. They still deal with all of the other things. And so how does that come into play when you talk about these different categories? I mean, same-sex attraction, gay identity, and homosexual behavior. You've talked about that in your own personal context a little bit here to, to start off, mm-hmm. but give some other examples. Uh, you, you know, you've also talked about people who are sort of hidden below the surface, but there, but there's another group, for starters, which would be those who consider themselves um, gay and open, and they may not feel perhaps understood or, or as welcome, and they may not even see the difference between these three categories as an example. Right. So I think one of the big um, areas that often gets very contentious is whether being gay is a choice or not. And a lot of it comes down to what do you mean by gay? Are you talking about the attractions, are you talking about the behaviors, are you talking about the identity? So often you see conservatives, when they say, you choose to be gay, they're saying, well, you choose who you have sex with, you choose what type of lifestyle you live. But often people hear that on the other side as saying, you're choosing to be attracted to the same sex, you're choosing to go through these emotions. And so they they take offense at that and say, no, I didn't choose to be gay, I was often they'll say they were born that way. And in reality, they're talking about two totally different topics. They, they absolutely are. E- elaborate, explain a little bit more, because um, that, that's, <laughs> you know, if you flip that around and said, hmm, did you choose to be uh, at- attracted to women if you're talking to a man? Is that, is that something you chose? Uh, that's a little bit more difficult for someone to answer who's, following a traditional straight lifestyle. Right. So I, for example, I made choices in my life where I was put in a position where I got in a relationship with my wife and I allowed myself to fall in love with her. There was a lot of choice for me along the way, and part of that choice was avoiding certain behaviors, which I knew would preclude the option to get married. Um, So for me, it's kind of a choice, but I also know um, there's many people who do try to go to that route and are not successful. So 
part of it's the question of how much is the choice. I have maybe the potential to get married, and so I choose to expand on that potential where someone else might not have that potential to get married, and so they don't have a choice to expand that potential. So even choice is a bit confusing. In in some ways, it, it certainly is, but if, if you at least sort out some of the basics by saying that everyone, um, with with perhaps extremely rare exceptions, is going to be um, born in such a way that at some point along their life, when they reach a certain age, they're going to have some kind of um, sexual desire. Right. And, and, and that is innate in people. Then... Right. Th- then you have to come to the conclusion that there is some component of it that is not a choice. It would be pretty hard to to just uh, grow up and never ever experience any kind of sexual desire at all, ever, ever, ever. And and so there is some component that's that's innate. And and yet the other very obvious fact is that everybody has a choice in how they choose to express that and and somewhere along that continuum uh, you have to recognize that there is both choice and both an innate component to it would that would that be fair to say absolutely Um, when I was a missionary um, we were taught that we were supposed to walk our heart that was a choice that we were supposed to make. Um, on talks about the subject, um, people would often say, you know, if there's a pretty girl, you don't look once, you're not a man. If you don't look twice, you're not. A, if you look, if you look, if you don't look once, you're not a man. If you look twice, you're not a missionary. Um, meaning, you you notice things, but it's your choice whether to allow those attractions to get hold in you. So I would say a very similar thing about um, people of same-sex attraction. If I see an attractive man and I think he's sexually attractive, I look once. If I don't look once, I'm not gay. So if I look twice, then I'm not a Mormon. I'm not choosing to walk my heart with that respect. There are... um a whole bunch of different questions that I have about this, but time for a short break. We'll be right back after this. AM 630 K-Talk. Real people. Real talk. Drive Time Live with Mills Crenshaw. We're back. This is Drive Time Live. Martin Tanner sitting in for the vacationing Mills Crenshaw. During this segment of our show, we have a fascinating guest with an amazing perspective that is um, somewhat unique. His name is Joshua Johansson. He's with us by phone from California, and he's talking to us about the issues of same-sex attraction. He's doing it from somebody, from the perspective of, of someone who is an active Latter-day Saint, and also someone who is married and has a child. And and that, to me, gives him a very 
uh, unique perspective and that he can talk about this issue from every point of view practically speaking and and I think that's a wonderful asset to have if you'd like to join us to talk to him a little bit about uh, this issue you're welcome to call uh, from Salt Lake County the number is 570-5855 if you'd like to join us from Utah County it's 801-470-5855 and from North Davis and Weaver counties. It is six seven zero five eight five five. Joshua, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. It's good to be here. This um, whole issue of talking past each other is something that we touched on briefly. One of the other main issues that I wanted to bring up is the whole question uh, that, that comes up a lot of of um, how fair or appropriate the the LDS Church is on this issue, and I I find that that question is is quite amazing. They have a very traditional perspective in many ways, and yet um, somebody from your perspective who does have same sex attraction is in full fellowship in the church. So, go go ahead, elaborate. I mean, I, I can't really steer too much here. This is something that I think you'll have a great perspective on. Well, I I believe in the Church. I love the Church. I'm, there's a reason I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And one of the reasons why I love this Church so much is that it does teach that we are able to choose. We can make of our lives what we want to, and it's the ability to, we call it, overcome the natural man that really empowers me to be able to take my life in my own hands. So when it teaches that we can have control over our sexual behavior, that speaks to me and that that helps me to, to take control over my sexual behavior and live the type of life that I want to live. So that's something that I love about the church, and there are the teachings on homosexuality, in my view, is very favorable to people with same-sex attraction. It's something that I find refreshing about the LDS faith, which is, I guess, in some circles uh, considered not too open, but I find it extremely open for that very thing that you just brought up, one of the primary, if not the primary teaching, is this whole idea of freedom of choice, free agency, phrase it however you will. God doesn't make you do something. There's this, there, there is no fatalistic aspect to it. You are free to choose. And, of course, you uh, have the consequences of whatever you choose, but that freedom is paramount. Exactly. Um, and at the same time that you do have that freedom to choose, there, there's also, like, there's this recognition that we do have weaknesses, that we do have temptations, that we still have this natural man, and we're not supposed to feel guilty for temptations that we're not acting on, or even if we're in the process of acting on 
and we realize we need to come to the Savior and have him help us overcome. It's not something that we're supposed to feel guilty just for the cards that we've been given in life. Very, very true, and well put. Um, If I could, give us a little bit of a preview of what your presentation at FAIR is going to be like. There are some great topics that you've brought up when we uh, discussed this briefly yesterday, different areas that you wanted to venture into. Right. So we've already talked a little bit about the difference between um, attractions, identity, and behavior. Yes. And the church does not have a position on the cause of attractions. And mainstream science does not have a position on the cause of attractions. Yet I find it interesting that it's such this root cause of the debate that people are always saying what causes the attractions when that's really not an issue in the church. Um, So what the church does care about is that we align our our values, our um, behavior, um, in with God's law, and if you look at what mainstream science says, there there was a report that a lot of gay activists point to um, on therapy to change sexual orientation, and they're like, hey, there's no evidence whether or not this can work or not to change attraction. But if you look at the report deeper, it says, well, this therapy can change identity, it can change behavior, it can change values. It can change the way you approach this, and that's exactly what the church teaches. So what the mainstream medical association says is possible with homosexuality, and what the church asks us to do are, in my view, in perfect alignment. But because we always talk about the cause of attractions and whether the attractions can be changed, we often talk past each other. Tell me if I'm expressing this in a, in a way that um, is compatible with what you're saying. To me, it it often helps if you respond back um, to know that you're really understanding a point. We talked right. a little bit earlier about the difference between something that's innate and something that's a choice in, in terms of, mm-hmm. of sexuality. And what you're saying is neither the church nor good science, good psychology, um, should or or does try to get someone to change the innate portion of someone's personality. But the behavior part, the part where there is a choice, that's something that could be fruitful for exercising discretion, trying to change inappropriate behavior, and so forth? Um, I think the difference between what's innate and what's a choice is very difficult to determine. Um, so I, I, would, I would say yes, if we knew what that difference was. Um, well, and you, and you might even find different people who, for themselves, would, would uh, draw the line in a little different place on those issues. Right, right. So where the church has drawn the line, for sure, 
is on behaviors, the choices that we make. So that aspect, the behaviors, definitely can be changed. I'm trying to stay neutral on whether the underlining attractions can change. I've, I mean, experienced a little bit of change, but I'm still predominantly same-sex attraction attracted. Other people have said they have changed, and I'm not them, so I can't say whether or not they have or not, and I can't say whether it's through therapy, through through faith, or just dumb luck. But so I'm trying to avoid that part and focus on what the church asks us to do and what the science says we can do and have a perfectly happy, fulfilling life doing so. And there you, and there you go. You know, and that's said much better than I did it earlier when I said the in, innate. Um, part of, of someone's personality and the actual behavior. You said it much better than, than I did, but that's what I was trying to get at. So um, where where are you um, where are you going to go with your presentation? And right now I'd like to focus on the whole issue of linguistics. Your background is linguistics. We, we haven't really talked too much about that, but yesterday you, you said that people tend to really talk past each other and you also said that one of the things that you wanted to discuss is how language impacts on this whole debate and discussion surrounding homosexuality same-sex attraction so there's several aspects where the language comes into play um, so often the APA will do studies trying to see if the underlining attractions are changed. For example, one of the studies they did is they showed men um, heterosexual pornography and homosexual pornography and measured their reaction to it. Um, and they, they said that that particular thing didn't change over a long time. But from my perspective, I don't want to be looking at pornography at all. You know, it's not like being aroused by heterosexual pornography is a good thing. You know, if I came home and said, hey, guess what, honey, I know how to be aroused by heterosexual pornography, I'd be sleeping on the couch. So that's not my goal. You know, they, they measure something that's not what my goal is. And so they, they do these types of studies, and it goes out, and people grab those, and they're like, hey, you can't change being gay. Being gay is something that's innate to who you are. And then they go a step further and talk about you don't choose your behaviors. So you have this study that's about the underlying attractions, and I want to show all these these different studies. And then people want to apply them to behavior. So one example, for example, here in California, there's a bill that just passed the Senate that said that that prohibits teenagers from receiving um, any therapy to help make them straight. So they quoted the APA stance on the um, unlikelihood to be able to change your underlying attractions. However, in the law, they changed it to also include behaviors. So if a gay teen wants help to overcome sexual behaviors, it would be prohibited here in California. So that's one example 
where they, they, they just kind of said, well, everything's gay. And so they took something that was meant only to be about attractions and they applied it to behavior. Which is kind of sad because there, as you've pointed out, is a very huge difference between attraction and actual behavior. And when you muddy the waters there, it stops people from getting help with behavior that may not be appropriate. Right. Exactly. What else? There's a lot of debate about reorientation therapy and reparative therapy. But when I went for therapy, I just wanted therapy for behavior. And there was so much debate about the attractions that it was very difficult to get. No doubt. Why do you think that is? Is it just the misconception about um, the difference between attraction and behavior? Or is there something else that's even more at the heart of that? Um, A huge part is that um, it's also... I think part of the the debate is what we were talking earlier about overcoming the natural man. I think in society there's this mentality that if you you have the attractions, if it's a part of your natural man, um, then you want to act, so you should act on it. And if you don't act on it, you're you're causing harm to yourself because you're restraining yourself. Um, however, for us, you know, that's the fundamental part of the gospel is restraint, is changing your nature. So, so there's this idea of, of the difference of opinion of how attractions is related to behavior, which I think is at the heart of the debate. Interesting. Why would it be that... Well, I'm going to ask it a little different way. Do you think the reason that the distinction between those two aspects, the the attraction and the behavior, are not differentiated by the APA and other organizations, is is that because there is a lack of knowledge, or is it more to do with some kind of an agenda? The APA does make the distinction. Um, in the report, they were very clear that they, there was no evidence whether or not attraction could be changed, but these other aspects, the behavior, the values, identity, they could be changed. The APA was clear. Um, I think they could have made the press release clearer. I think they could have made other things clearer, but the actual report itself was pretty clear. It's more the people who take these reports and then talk about them outside of the thing um, that aren't clear. And I think part of it unintentional for them, but I do think part of it is is that they do see that the attractions are connected to the behavior and the idea of you're supposed to give in to the natural man. So so maybe a better way to say it, if, if I'm understanding, is that um, the underlying research for the APA is pretty good and, and, and sound, and yet the way it's interpreted or perhaps brought into the mainstream hasn't been quite as careful as the underlying research. Um, yeah, I, I do have problems with the APA. I, think, I, I do think that they are heavily influenced by political aspects. Um, 
However, I think there's plenty, even with that influence, there's plenty that they have to say that supports um, the Mormon teaching of overcoming your attractions to live the lifestyle you want. And we, we certainly don't have a bill in Utah quite like the one that you've described that just passed uh, or partially passed, I guess, in, yeah. in California. Um, where did that bill come from, and is there a way to salvage it in in a way that you think is appropriate? Well, politics is totally different from science. Um, I personally think that restriction on what the therapy people can have. Joshua, hold. Sorry about that. Hold that thought. We have a commercial break. We'll be right back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Drive Time Live. We're speaking with Joshua Johansson. Stay tuned. AM 630 K-Talk. Grab your phone and make the call. Drive Time Live with Mills Crenshaw. Welcome back. This is Drive Time Live. Martin Tanner sitting in for Mills Crenshaw. Today we're talking with Joshua Johansson, who is going to be speaking at the fair conference that's coming up on August 2nd and 3rd at the Southtown Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. It's going to be a great conference, one of the more fascinating and controversial subject matters is the one that we're discussing this hour with Joshua Johansson and that's same-sex attraction within the LDS Church some of the misconceptions that are out there about the whole topic and about particularly the difference between attraction and actual behavior which is something that's not always uh, well differentiated and thank you again for joining us this is a great subject and you're well qualified to talk about it Joshua looks like we have uh, lost him let's see if we can regain the call we will be uh, right back the the fair conference if um, if if you would like to know more about it is coming up on the first excuse me on the second and third of August and um, it's it's a great conference. It's something that anybody is welcome to sign up for, and it has something in it for everybody. If you have interest in um, uh, DNA in the Book of Mormon, if you have an interest in religious freedom in America, whatever the subject matter may be, uh, there's something great that we can th- th- that we have there for you. So I hope you will join us. I'm going to take a short little break here and see if I can get uh, Joshua Johansson. All right, I think we've reestablished our connection. Joshua, thanks for uh, for joining us this hour. Thank you. When we uh, lost our connection there, we were talking about this specific bill that's in California and some of the problems with it because it doesn't seem to be able to distinguish between attraction and behavior. Is that kind of a common way that, at least in a political context, 
problems arise with people who are maybe well-meaning but don't really accomplish something that that uh, that's appropriate yes um there was um a famous bill that outlawed um gay sex which doesn't really respect the mormon idea of free agency um but in that ruling they made the determination that you couldn't outlaw it because it's intrinsically connected with same-sex attraction so that made that connection in the sense of law that permeated to other um, aspects of law and in my opinion has had several unintended consequences where do you think this bill in california is going to go is it going to make it into law is it going to be something that people are going to uh, have to live with there um i i fear so <laughs> Um, I I think it would be challenged in court. Actually, the Pacific Justice Institute um, has has pointed to several legal problems. Um, one of the aspects is it discriminates based off sexual orientation. So a straight teenager who wants to diminish straight sex um, because they have adopted the gender of their partners can go and get therapy, but a teenager with same-sex attraction who wants to eliminate gay sex can't. So that is discrimination based off orientation, which is a huge legal issue in this bill. Interesting. And that's, um, that's a fascinating way to approach it. What do you, or what would you like to say, um, if anything, about the way that the LDS Church seems to approach this issue. I know there are some people who purport to give uh, counseling within the LDS Church. Do they do a better job than perhaps some other organizations of distinguishing between attraction and behavior, or are there still some issues there? The Church itself doesn't offer therapy. Um, there are a lot of therapists who are LDS or work for LDS Family Services, who are influenced, obviously, by the teachings. I've really found those to be helpful. I think part of it's because it matches my own philosophy in the world. Um, so I think that's very helpful. Um, within the church, I, I do think is better than, than several other places, but I still think we have a long way to go in um, clarifying some misconceptions around it and aligning um, the beliefs of members with the teachings of the church. So there are still people who like go to their bishop with same-sex attraction and he thinks it's a sin or tries to punish them or doesn't know how to talk about it or doesn't even know how to approach it. And as long as that's going on, it's going to be very difficult to have same-gender attraction in the church. And so that's one of the things I hope to do is to clarify some of these misconceptions. So what would you, if you could wave a magic wand, so to speak, and, and change some of these misconceptions, how how would you go about doing that? Maybe the, the waving the magic wand isn't a good way to say it. What approach would you take that would be useful in trying to... Um, uh, help some of these misconceptions and, and help people who are involved with these issues, whether it be somebody who 
uh, might like to go to a church leader or whether it's the church leader themselves? Um, my biggest, uh, I think the biggest thing is information. Um, the church has put a lot of stuff out there, just people haven't um, accumulated it, haven't internalized it. So one thing that has been done in several places in Idaho and Oakland, um, to name some few, are firesides, where people go and they talk about the issues of homosexuality within the context of the church. And that's helped. I've heard a lot of very good, every time they've done it, there's been a lot of good feedback. People have said their views have been changed, So, but it hasn't happened often enough. So more of those types of firesides. I would like to get to the point where struggling with same-gender attraction isn't any different at all than struggling with opposite-sex attraction, um, where people can be open and supportive, and there's a community where people can mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. And I think that's the point of the church is we're supposed to build buying, we're supposed to be one, we're supposed to take other people's burdens and incorporate that into ourselves so that we can help them and and help them on the path back to the God. Which is what the goal of any good religion ought to be, is, is to help people with their life and with the issues that they encounter along the way. Um, well said. Very, very well said. How do you think the Church does in terms of same-sex attraction and the whole issue of marriage? Some people who experience same-sex attraction uh are probably not going to be able to successfully be married the way you are. Is the church doing a good job, in your opinion, in terms of of how people like that are uh, helped or viewed? Um, well, as far as I think a lot of it, it's really tricky because the church doesn't want to get into psychological issues and determining who can and who can't and what makes the best recipe for success is is very psychological it's it's hard for the church to address those issues well, let me tell you um, why let me tell you why I bring that up i I know of a couple of instances where people who um, felt like they themselves were were gay or attracted to the same sex and there were efforts made to try to help them uh, become married. Good idea, not such a good idea, or is it completely on a case-by-case situation? It's completely case-by-case. I I, I think the desire really has to come from the person. Um, I have that desire, but at the same time, it wasn't... I, I needed to be realistic about my desires. So I think the major problem, I think, with that is people often feel guilted into getting married, and I don't think that's good for any marriage, honestly. <laughs> well said. It's not. No one should be <laughs> guilted into getting married. Um, absolutely well said. Um, so where do we go from here? We, we have about another four minutes here in our, our program is, is all... What should 
general members of the church and general people in society do so that they understand and are more helpful to people with same-sex attraction? Um, under loving them regardless of where they're at. So um, if they have a couple next door that are same-sex and a couple uh, that's just living together that aren't married, there's not really a difference in the church's point of view, and they need to treat them, everyone, as a child of God. Um, from the world's perspective, I would like to say that there's lots of people with same-sex attraction who enjoy this path that I'm on, who enjoy the law of chastity and the benefits that come from it, and there's a lot of push to separate us from, like people call, pray away the gay camps and these other pejoratives that make it difficult for us to live our the life that we want in today's society. And so the idea is, hey, people actually want this path, and we should support them in this path would be very helpful from the society's point of view. Often people think that, hey, they don't really want this, they're being forced to by other people, so we should prevent them from doing this. And somehow they think that's being helpful when it's not. Mm, well, well said. So is the distinction then for um, members of the church and members in you know, just generally people in society, that they should focus more on that seems to be lost in the uh, discussion, the difference between attraction and behavior that you brought up earlier. Right, and and I'd almost say the difference between attraction and desire. I desire um, heterosexuality. I desire to be with my wife, and I'd like society to support me in that desire. Um because so, there's there's people who are involved in behavior but don't desire that, if that makes sense. And so there should still be a road to overcome that and to be able to align what they desire with what they do. It's basic agency 101. You know, people have a choice and they can do what they want. That That is absolutely true. And people who tend to be understanding, people who tend to be um, helpful rather than criticizing and condemning are the ones who ultimately, I think, are going to do the most good, uh, no matter where they are on the, on this issue. Uh, fascinating, fascinating thing. Joshua Johansson, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And that about wraps it up for today. Uh, Martin Tanner here, sitting in for Mills Crenshaw. It's been a pleasure to be with you. I'll be here again tomorrow and Friday, and then Mills will be back on Monday. Some fun? It's time to-